Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We give you the praise, the glory, the thanksgiving that you so deserve. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for the precious blood of your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to this earth to indwell us, to empower us, to cause us to know you, Father, more and more and more intimately every day of our lives. We bless you. We honor you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you would not allow us to perish, that whosoever believes will have eternal life. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Go ahead and be seated. Hallelujah. This weekend we begin preparing our hearts to celebrate the most important event in the history of mankind. And that is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This weekend, we start with the question, why this path? Why this plan? Why did it have to happen this way? Have you ever considered the fact that since God is almighty, since God is all-powerful, since God is all-knowing, that he could have saved us any other way without having Jesus to suffer as much as he did? But... He chose a path for the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord stayed on that path. Even when he could have made other choices, he stayed on that path. And we're going to find that out this weekend. We're going to study this path that led to our salvation. Amen? Amen. Why this way? Why Jesus? You know, a number of years ago, it was a song that was released. It was entitled, What a Strange Way to Save the World. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. It was based on the thoughts of Joseph, you know, Jesus' stepfather, earthly father, as he pondered the life of this child, this infant, as he was watching over in the manger. Let's think about it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make any sense that the one who never sinned should be the one to take the punishment in place of those who always sin. It just doesn't make any sense. We, we, if we had to sit down and come up with a plan, we would have come up with it differently. Why this path? Why should he have to be nailed to the cross? Why did Jesus remain obedient, as the scriptures say, even unto death on the cross? This is the path that brought us into the glorious light. This is the path that started in the heart of God, even from the beginning of creation. From Genesis chapter 3, we see God revealing the plan, and that's what we're talking about this weekend. We're talking about the plan. What was the plan in God's heart? How do we see it unfold? How do we see it revealed? And that's what we're studying. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now let's consider this. I don't want to get off on another topic, but just to give you something to consider here and something to think about. If the consequence for what the serpent did was for it to go on its belly and eat dust, that means previous to that it wasn't on its belly and ate dust. Obviously, it was some type of different form. Obviously, it had some other way to, to, to uh, navigate, to get around. But as a result, the consequence was that it would crawl in the dust for all of its life. And, and from that point forward, snakes crawl in the dust. Verse 15 is where I want to get to. And I will put enmity. This is God speaking now. I will put enmity. In other words, I will put animosity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, if you notice that her seed, the seed is capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. He shall bruise your head. He's talking about Jesus is going to bruise the head of the serpent, in other words, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. What is God saying here? He, the Messiah, the anointed deliverer, is going to come in the future. At some point in the future, he will come. He will punish the deceiver, and he will redeem us back to the Father. But in the process, he, the deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus, would be wounded, would give his life. To demonstrate that plan, and remember, this is the first time we're hearing of the path now. This is the first time we're hearing of the journey that Jesus is going to have to take. Up until this point, it's not revealed. But now God's to begin, God begins to unfold that plan. God begins to reveal that which he's had in his heart even before the creation of the universe. And so now God does something that Adam and Eve have never seen yet. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And clothed them. Now, now watch this now. I've always, I've always had this question in my heart. Why does that verse start out with also? Because this also was a consequence. Follow me now. We're on the path. If Satan, working through that serpent, caused the serpent to receive a consequence, then a consequence also would have to be in effect for the man and for the woman, for Adam and Eve. And what's the consequence? Well, previous to this time, they're naked. They're literally clothed with the glory of God. They have no concept of their nakedness. But now, all of a sudden, God makes tunics for them. Now, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this. Because to me, this is significant. This is a precedent-setting event. Where did these tunics come from? Where, and we're told, of skins. Well, where do these skins come from? From animals. So who really suffered the consequence? Did Adam and Eve? No. The animals. What do we have here? Here we got it. This is the first animal sacrifice. Blood shed to cover man's sin. Something had to die. Now watch this now. They've never seen blood before up until this point. They're not aware of what's flowing in their veins up until this point. 
And now they're aware of the fact that something died because they sinned. They're aware now that a life has to be given for a life. God speaks to Adam and Eve and unfolds the plan to the extent that they could understand it. Under, you know, realize this, please. As you're walking with God, as you continue to grow in this life with the Lord, as you continue on this path that God has placed us, understand this because sometimes people get frustrated yet they get impatient. God always, God's plans are always progressive. The unfolding of those plans is always progressive. He shows us only what we can handle in the season we're in. Understand that. Next scene on this path, again, we're talking about this journey. We're talking about this plan. We're talking about a strategy laid out, revealed throughout the centuries, culminating at the crucifixion, at the resurrection. The next scene in the path is found in Genesis chapter 22. What are we seeing here? We're seeing illustrations. We're seeing examples. We're seeing symbols. And every one of these things speak of the one that would come that God promised to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, said to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2. Then he said, God said to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Remember, God's plans are progressive. God doesn't only tell you everything up front. He gives you what you need to take the next step. Verse 3, so Abraham, in obedience, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. Remember, this is Isaac that he's waited decades for. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, the lad, Isaac, and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Talk about a statement of faith. Why? Because God told him, you're to take your son and go and sacrifice him there. But Abraham knew the nature of God. Abraham knew the character of God. Abraham knew something's going to happen. Either, either, either he's going to give me another one, or he's going to raise this one up, or something's going to happen. Abraham had his faith and confidence in God. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, and so the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, and since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the, in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Under the terms of a covenant, I want you to hear me very closely. Under the terms of a covenant, a covenant, everything one party has is automatically at the disposal of the other. It's just a law of covenant. By asking Abraham, by God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, God was obligating himself to sacrifice his son, the Lord Jesus. And the mount where Abraham brought Isaac is the mount where the temple was eventually built. When Abraham looked up and saw the ram, he probably was looking at Golgotha, at Mount Calvary, just a little distance away from that mount just off in the distance. Think about it. God asks Abraham, give me the person you love the most. Give me the one that you've been waiting all these years for. Bring him. Place him on an altar. Arrange the wood around him. Bind him. Put him up on that wood and sacrifice him. And Abraham follows every step of obedience. So that split second that that knife was raised. And that voice comes out of heaven and says, stop. Stop. Now, we know God knows everything, right? We know that God knew that he was going to stop Abraham. But you see, he's not doing it for Abraham's sake. He's doing it for his sake. Because God needed to legally obligate himself to stay on that path, that someday this one was going to come and fulfill exactly what he said to Adam and Eve. Satan's head would be bruised, but the deliverer, the Savior, would be wounded. He would give his life, but we know the story. Amen? So the next step, on this path towards salvation takes place about 400 years later. We're following this path. Are you with me? We're following this path. We started in Genesis, and we moved over into, into Abraham's life and Isaac. 400 years goes by, and we see the next picture on this path. God paints a picture that's so vivid in this next illustration, if you, if you would that it must have shocked the people that were standing at the cross as Jesus was dying. They had to have made this connection. They had to have seen the picture that stood in front of them as he was just suspended there between heaven and earth. God gave instructions 
1,500 years before, 400 years after Abraham's time, God gave instructions to Moses to tell the people of Israel that they're to choose a lamb for each household. This lamb is to be without blemish, it's to be without spot, it's to be perfect. And that lamb will be sacrificed on the very last night of their slavery in Egypt. It's on no coincidence. Let me read you the instructions that God gave to Moses as it's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So you take it on, on, on the 10th day, and you're to keep it for four days, and you're to keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then on that 14th day, four days later, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two, do two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. The blood is to be applied to those doorposts. Then they shall eat the flesh on it that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. You're saying to yourself, Pastor, it's wonderful that we've got this recipe and I had to cook a lamb, but what does it have to do with what we're talking about? On the day that the Israelites were to inspect the lambs to be chosen, Jesus is in the temple compound on that same day, being interrogated by the religious leaders. In a way, they're inspecting the lamb to see if he has any blemish, if he has any, any, any deceit in him, if he's got anything wrong. They're inspecting the lamb. Four days later, the lamb of God was slain. The method of roasting. Now understand this, you gotta understand biblical symbolism here. Because the Bible always interprets itself. Roasting, fire, anything like this is always symbolic of judgment. It's always symbolic of the judgment of God. He said it's to be roasted entirely. None of it's to remain till the next day. You remember they were in a hurry to get Jesus' body off the cross because he could not let him stay on the cross until twilight, until sundown. He had to get off that cross. He could, they could not leave him there until the next day in fulfillment of this. Now, the method of roasting. The entire lamb is to be roasted. Now, just if you were to buy, if you were to go to the butcher and you're going to make a lamb, a roasted lamb, you would get certain parts. You'd get the leg. You'd get whatever. But the instructions were that the entire lamb was to be roasted. Now, how are you going to do that if you need to clean out the inside of this thing? I mean, the worst, anybody ever cook a turkey and forget to take that little bag outside? It's disgusting. It, it, it just it defiles the entire, entire turkey. You can't eat it. It just, and so we know that. And so the method that they would use is they would split that lamb open. They would take the inside, the entrails, in, in and they, because to fulfill this instruction, 
they would take the entrails and they would wrap them around the head of the lamb. In order for this thing to cook and cook entirely, they would split it open, they would spread it apart, and they would put a crossbar on the inside to keep the lamb open so that as they roasted it over fire, it would cook evenly. Let me ask you this question. If you were to see this animal on this spit, on this, on this, on this crossbar, spread open with the entrails wrapped around its head, what kind of picture do you, are you seeing? Jesus on the cross. That's why I say, could you imagine? And remember, you remember, they, they just celebrated Passover the night before the crucifixion. You imagine what John, who we know was the only disciple that was at the cross, could you imagine Mary, Mary Magdalene, the other women that were there? Could you imagine when they saw him on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, having just had the meal just 24 hours before, the picture that they saw? It had to have made a tremendous impression upon them. Now, now watch this now. This path now has been revealed since Genesis all through the centuries. Yet it is, isn't it amazing that at the cross, the religious leaders who should have been very familiar with the path, who should have been very familiar with the pictures, who should have been very familiar and should have thought, this is Genesis chapter 3. This is Exodus chapter 13 and chapter 12. This is, this is Abraham sacrificing Isaac. The only one who got it was a Roman soldier who knew nothing about the path. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Why this path? Why this kind of suffering? Why this type of humiliation? I want to read you from the Passion Bible. Paraphrase. I believe it says it's best. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when the time was right, the anointed one came, the one that God spoke about in Genesis, and died for what reason? To demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak and powerless to save themselves. Now who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? Not many. I don't think any of us would want to give our life for somebody who we know is evil, is wicked. We could all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Verse 9, and there is still much more to say of this unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? The path was chosen to demonstrate the love of God for each and every single one of us. For you, for me, for everyone that's ever lived, for everyone that ever will live. You cannot separate this from the celebration that we're about to have in a few weeks from now. Why? Why? Many people say, well, the Romans hated Jesus. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. It didn't matter if anybody hated Jesus. 
Jesus came to this earth specifically to give his life, to lay it down, to allow himself to be sacrificed, to fulfill those pictures that we saw in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22, to fulfill the picture of the lamb, the Passover lamb, being sacrificed so that they would escape slavery, so they would escape the punishment of the angel of death as they placed that blood on their doorposts, on the top and on the sides, forming that cross. And when the angel of death came over that house, it was not permitted to affect anyone in that household. Symbolically, we carry that blood. Every one of us that are believers, every one of us that's ever said, Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart. Come into, come into my, my, my very life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In a very real way, the blood of Jesus gets applied to us, spiritually speaking. Because you see, later on, Paul receives revelation from the Holy Spirit and begins to, reveal, begins to reveal to the church that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the house he lives in. We are the dwelling place. And so that blood being applied to us has now made us righteous. But it also says to the devil, to the accuser of the brethren, hands off of this one. This one belongs to me. Amen? Why this path? The answer is love. Love goes to extraordinary lengths to prove itself. And it can never be proven by words alone. They just can't. You can say, I love you all you want, but you, baby, show me some action. Baby, show, me some, some, so, show me some demonstration of that love. You know, make sure uh, that, that you're taking care of the person that you say you love. Show love. Love is shown. You notice, very rarely do we hear Jesus. I don't know of any, any uh, I don't know of one incident in the, in, the, in the Gospels where you hear Jesus say, I love you. But my God, did he demonstrate that love? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt that he loves us. His only, only action could be the real proof of love. So God came to this earth in the form of Jesus to prove his love by paying the very debt we owed. The judge who declared, if you eat of that fruit of that tree in the garden, you shall surely die. The same God who made that declaration to Adam is the same God who came to this earth in the form of Jesus, having issued that consequence. If you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Now, we know Adam didn't die that day. Adam lived for hundreds of years, but guess what? Sin, disobedience, the rebellion against God's plan, against God's will, brought the consequence. The Bible calls it the curse. Came upon this earth, and sickness began to affect, afflict mankind. Within the next generation, we see murder come on the scene. All of this happened. Because mankind did not stay on the path that God designed, so God himself had to come on the path to bring us back to salvation. He himself gets on the cross and suffers a penalty that's meant for man. Love took our place on the cross. And if I give you one final picture of the path 
that brought us to salvation. I want you to hold on to this. Luke chapter 22. This is the night of the Last Supper. They have already eaten the meal. They have left the place that they were celebrating Passover. And the Bible tells us here in verse 30, coming out, he, talking about Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives, which we know is Gethsemane, as he was accustomed. And his disciple also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 41, and, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, watch this now. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great, drop, great drops of blood falling to the ground. What do we see here in this picture? This is the final installment of the path before he gets to the cross. What do we see here? It's Abraham and Isaac again. Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the lamb? Jesus knew who the lamb was. He was aware of the plan. He was aware of the path from the time he was a child. John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's Abraham and Isaac all over again. But this time, there will be no angel that speaks from heaven. This time, the angel shows up to strengthen him, but there's no escape. He's got to stay on the path. It's a path of suffering. It's a path of obedience. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he provided his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God provided his one and only Son as Abraham provided his one and only Son. The only difference no one stopped Jesus' sacrifice. No one stopped. When the Romans were getting ready to drive the nails in his wrists and in his feet, no voice came from heaven. Stop. There's no escape. Love obligated him to see this path all the way through to the end. And we know it doesn't end there. We know. This is not the path that we would have chosen, but it's the path of love that leads to salvation. Thank God that Jesus stayed on the path. Thank God that at the garden, at that rock that he threw himself down on, thank God that Jesus' spirit won the battle, not his soul. Because his soul must have been screaming. We know this is a struggle. We know this is a struggle. We know the other translations tell us that three times he prayed the same prayer. Father, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me. Let this suffering pass from me. Now, Jesus is God, yes? Yes? Always was God? Always will be God? And so he could have done anything he wanted. He's God. 
but because of love. And let's face it, he really didn't need those nails. He would have stuck to that cross even without the nails. The nails only served the purpose to open up his veins so that his blood could be shed so that we could receive cleansing. You catching that? They didn't have to shove that spear in his side. They didn't have to nail his feet. He would have stayed anyway. But the blood had to be shed. Just like that blood had to be shed in the garden, blood had to be shed at the cross. Something, someone had to pay. Sin had to be dealt with, and it was dealt with with blood. Later on, God gives a revelation to Moses. I think it was based on what Moses had seen of God telling him this is what happened with Adam and Eve. Remember, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So God would have had to show him this picture that when Adam fell, when Eve fell, something probably lambs, because lambs are used throughout the word of God, was probably lambs that were slain. Their skins taken to cover the shame and cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And so then... 1,500 years later, Moses gets a revelation from God to write this down. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And if Jesus did not stay in that path, church, you and I would be hopelessly forever lost, separated from God, without any opportunity for reconciliation. Thank God for the Lamb of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. First of all, that, that you revealed the plan, that you showed us the path, that you continuously and progressively revealed it to your people all throughout the ages. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the love that he has for us. Father, we thank you that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For all of eternity, Father, we're grateful for that. We bless you. We thank you. We give you the glory and the honor, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.